It's 11.30 here at KRVN on the first day of April. It's Thursday. Tyler Cavalli along with you. We have a full lineup of things coming up today. As we mentioned about 15 minutes ago, it is opening day. Had a great segment there. Uh, a lot of different uh, people here supporting a lot of different teams. Uh, it's kind of fun. Uh, Jason Jorgensen is in with sports. We'll talk about that. Of course, big Roy Williams news from North Carolina. It is not an April Fool's joke. We'll have more on that. Uh, Bob Rogan will tell us how stocks are performing here on this Thursday. And warm, beautiful weather on the way this upcoming weekend. Paul Perkins will step in to tell us more in about 15 minutes. However, let's uh, let's catch up with Susan Littlefield. And uh, Susan, how are you doing this morning? Good. I was going to sing, but it's April Fool's Day and I don't want to scare uh. people away. <laughs> All right, as long as you're singing uh, the, uh, the opening day song or any baseball song, then that's fine. Yeah. We're going to win, Twins. We're going to score. We're going to win, Twins. Mm. Watch that baseball soar. We're going to have to I mute you now, I think. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. There. <laughs> no, take what me out Jason to the ball. Say? Take me out to the ball game. <laughs> not, the, not the Twins anthem. Goodness oh, gracious. Uh, what do you have coming up for us today? Well, we're going to kick off everything here at 1219 with Alex as she talks with twin brothers Matt and Joe Brueger, who are the co-founders of Upstream Farms. Now, they started the business as a way to add value to their family farm so they could return home after college. And that's part, of course, the Angler series that we hear on the stations. Then at 1245, Bryce steps in. The Nebraska lead program resumes. Well, her application window is open, so we'll find out more details coming from that from Bryce. And we are into the month of April, which means we are starting the Women in Ag series. A pretty exciting time to be able to showcase some amazing women that are in our listing area. So Chabella is going to kick it all off today at 117. Big thank you to all our sponsors and a shout out to Certified Angus Beef. They have sent some gift cards for our women. We're going to be selecting hmm. four women at the end of the month to receive some great uh, gift cards to take themselves out to dinner. All right. Very good. And uh, happy opening day to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, that was Susan Littlefield. Let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen. We talked about uh, today's opening day, the Royals, the Rockies. Everybody's got a, uh, you know, at, at least for today, you can look forward to what maybe be a promising season. Yeah, zero and zero. You, you know, you, even if your team has an efficiency here or there, you say, oh, they'll work around it. You know, he'll yeah, bounce back. He only hit 200 last year. No, he'll come through this mm -hmm. year with a 300 season of 25 home runs. Uh, coming up as part of sports, we'll hear from one of the Royals play-by-play -play mm -hmm. guys, Steve Fizigak. We'll get his thoughts on what he saw out of Kansas City as the Royals open up today at Kauffman Stadium. Also, big news in college basketball, Roy Williams saying so long after 33 years as a head coach in college basketball at the age of 70, he no longer will coach at North Carolina. It's it's probably time. It is, uh, but the biggest weird kind of thing about this, odd day to, yeah. to <laughs> announce a retirement. It is April Fool's Day, and uh, I think a lot of people are like, wait a second, yeah. is this for real? And it is, in fact, for real. So we're Williams, officially retiring. All right, let's turn things over to Bob Broken. How are stocks performing, and do you have a favorite MLB team? Oh, gosh, I don't know. White Sox, Kansas City, Rockies, any of them. Whoever's winning at the moment, is what you're saying? Anybody in the Midwest. Uh, the stocks are moving a little bit higher, uh, and so we'll be reporting on that a little bit. And also the number of Americans applying for unemployment benefits rose last week. We'll have details on that. All right, thank you very much, Bob. Here's... 
Time for Regional Ag Weather Update, and it's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Paul Perkins joining me in the studio once again. And, well, Paul, to start off a brand new month, we're seeing some uh, nice, beautiful temperatures eventually. Exactly. Uh, over the next few days, a nice warming trend on the way, and no April fooling with that forecast there. I like it. We're seeing <laughs> 50s right now in the western regions of our listing area down in Kansas, uh, full of a whole bunch of 50s. And, the winds, though, still a little pesky out there. Yeah, been on the breezy side. A lot of locations reporting some wind gusts up to uh, about 30 miles per hour. At least it's a south wind and not a warm wind. Mm-hmm. And we are seeing pretty much wall-to-wall sunshine from border to border in Nebraska and Kansas, unlike some patchy clouds that have been kind of persistent over the last few days. Beautiful weather for the most part for opening day of baseball. However, I was looking in the Chicago area with the wind chills. It's like 19 degrees Yikes. for first pitch. Uh, Detroit, they were just showing there's flurries in that area for wow. their home opener. Uh, I'll take what we have over all that. No doubt, because uh, temperatures right now into the 30s and much of Iowa right now yeah. into northern mm-hmm. Missouri. And mm-hmm. We did see it get it down to 13 in northeast Nebraska towards the Wayne area this morning, but a nice recovery on those temperatures currently. And speaking of those overnight temperatures, uh, for those that are still calving all that kind of stuff, uh, those overnight temperatures should eventually warm up a little bit. We're not going to see those 20s again for a while. Yeah, last couple of nights lows into the 20s, which we haven't seen since the month of February. It's been pretty mild since. Since then, uh, it looks like now we're going to pretty much stay above freezing for the next several days. Today going to be uh, the first day of uh, that warm-up that we'll see in the future. Yes, thanks to a ridge of high pressure building up from the desert southwest and onto the plains. This major warming trend with dry weather expected to last into early next week. Most of our temperatures in Nebraska in the mid to upper 40s. A few locations already into the low 50s from Ogallala and North Platte on into north central Nebraska. And temperatures over northern Kansas and northeast Colorado right now in the low to mid 50s. Daytime highs today expected to be slightly above normal in the upper 50s to the 60s. Warmer south winds, breezy for today and tomorrow for many locations as we sit between a ridge of high pressure to our or an area of high pressure to the east and a trough of low pressure to our west. In behind that, passing in that low pressure trough, winds will start to back off by Saturday. Tomorrow and Saturday, temperatures warming into the 70s. Our daytime highs 20 to 25 degrees warmer than usual in the 80s for Easter Sunday all the way into Tuesday. And I think that's going to be probably one of the warmest Easter's I can ever think of. I don't think anybody's complaining about that, but yeah, especially from what we were talking about yesterday, some Sundays, Easter Sundays have had snow. This will be a summer-like day. <laughs> yeah, very summer-like for sure. Cold front dropping those daytime highs into the 70s on Wednesday. Rain and some thunderstorm chances could start to return in our forecast by Wednesday night with low pressure starting to track across the plains. In the long-term forecast, above normal temperatures remain likely for Nebraska and Kansas for Tuesday on into April 14th. That better chance of warmer temperatures looks to be during the middle of next week. The latest outlook has backed off on our future rain chances, near normal to slightly below normal rainfall, now predicted for Nebraska and Kansas Tuesday through April 14th. Checking the latest regional drought monitor, Nebraska remained or improved actually a percentage point to 19% drought free. There are no dryness concerns in much of the central and east, or if you're along and east of a line from Burwell to Kearney and Franklin, most other areas have normally dried to a moderate drought. In the southwest, for areas along and south of a line from Grant to Curtis, severe drought remains. Kansas improved a percentage point to 78% drought free with no dryness issues in the central and east. 
Western areas along and west of a line from Norton to Gove and Hugoton abnormally dry to a moderate drought. There are small pockets of severe drought in the northwest from St. Francis to Atwood and over the extreme southwest. Key weather factors in the markets include a stretch of drier and warmer weather in the Midwest for the week ahead, a warming trend for the southern plains, and a mostly dry extended outlook for Brazil. The Midwest will be mostly dry through Sunday, allowing some field work to continue. Scattered terrain chances are back by next week. Midwest temperatures begin increasing by the weekend and are expected to be about to be much above normal to much above normal above normal to much above normal six to ten days from now in the Midwest. In the Southern Plains, colder weather the past couple of nights may have caused some minor damage for vulnerable winter wheat, but a warming trend will occur for the weekend into next week. Rain chances for the Southern Plains have dried up until some isolated rain starts to move through for next week. Dryness and drought may expand in the Southern Plains due to the lack of consistent rain. In Central and North Brazil, second crop corn remains a concern during this mostly dry stretch of weather. And as the dry season gets closer, showers will start to pop up through Central Brazil this weekend. But the overall dryness could last through the month of April. Now, something you did mention as well, but something to uh, just look and pay attention to is that uh, red flag warning for some of our listening area. Yeah, a little more isolated today uh, into the Nebraska Panhandle, into north-central Nebraska, along in, uh, for Ogallala and points north and west and on into north-central Nebraska. That red flag warning for a high fire danger this afternoon and early evening. And quickly, these winds will eventually die down by this weekend, it sounds like. Yes, uh, trough of low pressure moving through. We're in between two pressure systems, mm-hmm. and so that tight difference in air pressure causing those winds out of the south this time around man it would just feel so nice uh, <laughs> when we get to the 60s if we didn't have those winds i know because yeah, yeah you walk out right side and there's outside right yeah. now a little bit on the mm-hmm. chilly side but luckily some 70s on the way for tomorrow we're making improvements day by day <laughs> that's for sure uh for a full weather forecast where can you find that weather page krvn.com thank you The Angler Entrepreneurship Journey, celebrating success, embracing failure, and inspiring the entrepreneur inside of you. We're going into year four and there was a lot of steps to get to where we are now, and Angler was a huge part of that. Thanks so much for joining. Matt and Joe Brueger are twin brothers from Albion, Nebraska, and they're the founders of Upstream Farms. We're twin brothers farming in Nebraska. We're putting new ideas on old dirt and connecting our customers back to the land one meal and beverage at a time. Really, what we are doing is taking commodities and turning them into consumable products, coming back to our fourth generation farm in a little bit more of a non-traditional way. So the products that we're selling are, first of all, beef, which is something that we've raised on our family farm for four generations. So we felt like we had a really good starting point there because we already had a product that we didn't really need to do any market development on or market research or anything like that. We knew that it was a good product. We just needed to take it to market. And so we started selling that as really a wholesale business and then transitioned the last couple of years into a retail business. And then as of recent, we just started an on-farm distillery. And the reason why we did that was because, again, going back to this idea of taking commodities and turning them into consumables, we wanted to say, okay, we raise all the grains and forages that we feed our cattle, but about half of those go to the elevator every year. We raise corn primarily, soybeans and alfalfa. So we were thinking of a different way that we could take those products and again, add value. And what we came up with was a distillery, which most people don't realize this, but the main ingredients and spirits is corn or some sort of form of starch. And we grow a lot of it here in Nebraska and a lot of it on our farm. So our goal is to take the other 50% of the corn that we raise that doesn't get fed to cattle and turn it into another product such as whiskey that pairs really well with our beef. So again, spirits and beef, those are the two things that we raise on our farm. 
Upstream Farms got its start in the Angler program, a program that Matt and Joe almost passed up. They had both signed letters of intent their senior year of high school to play football at a different college in Nebraska. But their parents said they needed to at least tour the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And when we got here, we spent, I think, 10 minutes with in, yeah. in Tom's office and Dr. Tom Field's office. And we were like, we made the wrong decision. This is where we need to be. We need to be here at UNL and specifically for anglers. So that was kind of the pivotal moment. And we actually had to go back to that school and say, hey, we're sorry. We can't play football here. We're going to go. We're going to come to UNL. And after four years of being submerged into entrepreneurship, both the beef and distillery enterprises of Upstream Farms have experienced failures, which they say has allowed their company to succeed. When we first started selling beef, we were really excited to sell to like these restaurants around Lincoln and Omaha. And then we also sold to the University of Nebraska Athletic Department. That was like our first big account. We were just super excited about that. And then when we moved back to the farm, we kind of looked at the numbers as a wholesale business and we realized like, okay, as much as our heart is like really loves the idea of being the official beef provider and I put that in quotes of the University of Nebraska Athletics, we realized that was a pride thing and we had to let that go and say, okay, no, we need to transition into a retail company because the cost to just drive from Albion to Lincoln for the delivery in itself was eating a lot of margins. I could look back at that and say, you know, as long as we hung on to that account, that could have been a failure, but we let it go. And I would say the hop start is very similar. Uh, and I, it just failure is just such a different word to use for this yeah. because in entrepreneurship, we, we talk about it in the Angler program all the time, right? You fail fast, fail cheap, fail forward. So again, when we first walked in as freshmen into this environment, that was what was expected. And so I don't think it's been for us, oh my gosh, we're failing or this is, it's just like, well, that, that's part of it. Like it's part of our job to fail. You can learn more about Upstream Farms and the Angler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln at angler.unl.edu. Thanks so much for joining. Until next time, I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports here on this Thursday, the first day of April. And Jason Jorgensen back with us once again. And today, maybe one of the best days in sports uh, on the sports calendar. I would agree. It's a day of optimism. As Major League Baseball starts, it's also great to see some fans in the stands. A couple yeah. of the games we've had on here at work. Uh, the Royals open up today at home against... Texas. Now, this offseason, Kansas City brought back several former players, including former closer Wade Davis. Royals play-by-play announcer Steve Fizigak says Davis appears to have something left in the tank. 92, 93, even 94 miles an hour with his fastball. And I always figured when he was with us, the ability to command his four-seam fastball both inside and outside down in the strike zone was so key. And I don't know if he had the ability to get the the breaking football over when he was in Colorado because of that thin air. But here, it it has worked. His cut fastball has worked. um, And and Wade has been terrific. You know, Davis wouldn't be the first guy and won't be the last to get big money from the Rockies, go out there and struggle, (laughs) and then get back to to another team and pitch pretty well. Uh, Hopefully he does better for you. (laughs) Uh, At this point, he was was garbage for us, you know. And he got injured a couple times, too. That didn't help. But, uh, you know, hopefully he has something left in the tank. See, Greg Holland struggled out there, too, too. then bounced around. Actually was out of the league, and then the Royals signed him on a minor league deal last year, and he pitched really well. Listen, if you're a big-time thrower, why would you ever go to Colorado? 
It, it has not panned out well for anybody. And the Rockies have backed up the bank truck to so many guys, and very few have succeeded. So, uh, Nice opener for your team today, opening up against the Dodgers. Yeah, I look forward to it. <laughs> Let us know how that turns out, Tyler. <laughs> North Carolina announced today that Hall of Fame basketball coach Roy Williams is stepping down after a 33-year career that included three national titles. The decision comes just a couple of weeks after the 70-year-old closed out his 18th season with the Tar Heels after a very successful run at Kansas. Williams, he's a Hall of Famer, won more than 900 games in a career that included those three titles, all with the Tar Heels. A North Carolina lost to Wisconsin the first round of this year's tournament. That's the first time Williams ever had a team lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament. I did not know that. That is wow. a great stat. Of course, he spent 15 years at Kansas, led them to the Final Four and to a national championship game. It's probably time for him to step aside. You never want to be forced out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting now who they replace him with. Those are some big shoes to fill, not only him, but the the previous coaches. I mean, that's, man, I don't know who you get. Yeah, but they'll probably start right at the top of the list. Christian Bishop, who excelled as Creighton's undersized center the last couple of years, is planning to transfer. He got on Twitter last night, said he's entering the NCAA transfer portal. And Cam Martin, a Division II All-American power forward and unanimous first-team All-League pick at Missouri Southern, is headed to KU. Numerous Big 12 schools are interested in him. He will be a grad transfer. He'd already been contacted by TCU and Texas. The 6'9", 240-pound announced to play his final year at KU. Last year, he averaged 25 points and 9 rebounds per game for Missouri Southern. No one in the MIAA is sad to see Cam Martin leave. This guy was Paul Bunyan with a three-point jump shot. Really? Oh, yes. He's a dude. Now, I'm surprised I'm surprised a school at KU's level would be you know, that interested in him, but I was talking to some people who know they, they think he can play Division One basketball. I was going to ask, do you think he can pan out for I've, one more year? Probably. The, that, he's, that he's, okay. he's big enough with his skill set. Uh, he was a man against boys in the MIAA. But, yeah, Paul Bunyan with a jump shot. I like that. Did you describe <laughs> him that way while you were broadcasting? I did. Okay, yep. that's very fitting. And I like no, one, no one argued with me or said, you know, <laughs> that was an inflammatory statement. It's pretty much what he was. That is a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. All right, thank you. Nebraska man has been found guilty of helping kidnap a South Dakota woman who was later killed on the Santee Sioux Indian Reservation in Nebraska. Federal prosecutors said Ramon Simpson, age 50, of Norfolk, was convicted Wednesday in the November 2018 kidnapping of Phyllis Hunhoff. Because the kidnapping resulted in Hunhoff's death, Simpson faces a mandatory life sentence. Prosecutor said Simpson and another man abducted Hunhoff in Utica, South Dakota. After they took the woman to Norfolk, Nebraska, Simpson left before the other man took her to the reservation where she was killed and her body set on fire. The other man was convicted of murder last year. Back in 2017, the Cozad Development Corporation approached Cobblestone Inn and Suites to bring a hotel to Cozad. Over three years later, Cobblestone is open and ready for bookings. President of the development, Jeremy Giesbach, says there was a need for upper mid-scale rooms in Cozad. 
but Cozad before us did not have a upper mid-scale hotel. A lot of the business travelers and such were leaving Cozad, even though they may be coming here for uh, business or weekend events, uh, recreational, they were going 20 miles down the road one way or the other to, to stay at something a little newer and a little nicer. So, you know, the importance of this is getting more people to stay at. They can enjoy the, uh, the great uh, businesses that you have downtown and, and museums and enjoy the restaurants and uh, theater. And, and then Cozad gets that money spent in their town and it helps the whole community. Giesbach says the project was made possible by many generous local investors, the local banks to make up 50% of the cost, and Cobblestone Brand contributing the other half. A Lincoln business lobbyist and Republican operative has won confirmation to Nebraska's state health board despite criticism from a handful of Democratic lawmakers. Senators voted 37-7 to to confirm Bud Seinhorst to the state board of health. The board sets rules for a variety of health care professions, including doctors and nurses, and regulates the people who work in those fields. Seinhorst is a former Nebraska Republican Party executive director and now serves as president of the Lincoln Independent Business Association, a conservative-leaning group with members that are openly critical of the city's coronavirus mask mandate. He was appointed by Governor Pete Ricketts, a fellow Republican. Russia's top diplomat says the country's relations with the United States and its allies have hit the bottom, and no date has been set for sending the Russian ambassador back to Washington. Russia recalled its ambassador to the United States after U.S. President Joe Biden was asked in an interview if he thought Russian President Vladimir Putin was a killer and replied, I do. Addressing the issue, Russian Foreign Ministry Sergei Lavrov called Biden's remarks appalling and said they had forced Moscow to rethink its ties with Washington. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network, and today we're joined with Terry Haney of the Nebraska LEAD Program. And Terry, after a year of hiatus due to the pandemic, the Nebraska LEAD Program is resuming seminars coming up in September of 2021. Some exciting news there to share with our listeners. Well, it certainly is, Bryce. You know, this has been an interesting year, to say the least. And and while, you know, I'm a people person, and you know that, but it was a smart move by our board of directors to pause for this year. It allowed us to take a deep dive into all aspects of our of our program, and that includes the curriculum, it includes our funding, our resource development, it includes our selection and recruitment, and, and then, of course, our communication. So I couldn't be more excited to get started. You know, LEAD 39 took a whole year off in between, and so they'll be starting their second year this, this fall. And then, of course, we're out recruiting for LEAD 40. We'll talk more about uh, the recruitment effort here in a second. I thought it'd be interesting to get some more background information about the Nebraska LEAD program. Talk about the supporting organizations that help make this possible. Well, I'll tell you, Bryce, you know, this is a program that they started the idea back in the late 70s. And by 1981, it, it actually, they were able to start the program. Uh, and this, our founding fathers would be the members of the Ag Builders of Nebraska, uh, the leaders of Nebraska Agriculture. Of course, the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources all came together and, and decided that there was a need for a unbiased, non-political leadership development program for the future leaders of Nebraska's ag industry. So that's how we got our start. We've evolved into a program now 40-some years later, uh, over 1,100 graduates. And for your listeners out there, and I'm going to be very quick about this, when someone is selected for the program, it's an intense 19 months of, uh, in their life. Uh, it consists of 12 in-state, three-day seminars that take place across the state of Nebraska, a 10-day national study travel seminar to Kansas City, Washington, D.C., and Chicago. And then in their second year, the capstone, I would say, for the program 
would be that two-week international study travel seminar. So that's a little bit in the nutshell. So what kind of person are you looking for to apply to be part of Nebraska Lead Group 40? Well, we're looking for those individuals that are ready to take that first step in their leadership development journey. You know, we're not looking for that person that may have done all these things. They have this big, long pedigree of of things that they've done. We're looking for someone that is passionate about agriculture, that's involved in production agriculture, agribusiness, that are open to learning, that are committed to uh, putting the time uh, forth that's necessary to complete this program. And so we, we, we hope that we're going to be developing these people to become those future problem solvers, decision makers, and spokespersons for Nebraska agriculture. So it looks like applications are open right now, and that is going to be due no later than June 15th. So a uh, quick turnaround time for somebody interested. There's quite a bit of application process to go through to make sure somebody is you know really interested in doing this, vested in the experience. Talk about that process. Well, the application might it's not real lengthy. You know, I filled one out 20 some years ago. And so if I can do it, anybody can do it. But, you know, we just want to get some information about these uh, individuals that are interested in the program. There'll be some open-ended questions about, you know, an example might be what's the, the greatest challenge facing your local community or what's the greatest challenge facing Nebraska agriculture. But it allows our selection uh, interview teams uh, to get to know that candidate before they actually interview them. And Bryce, that's the next step. After the application deadline of June 15th, in July, we typically will do five uh, statewide district uh, interviews across the state locations uh, where we uh, bring in that uh, candidate and their spouse and uh, we spend about 30 minutes with them, getting, getting to know them. And then the next step would be the selection by the Nebraska Ag Leadership Council's Board of Directors that will make that final decision. Uh, and they'll do that about the middle of August, and we'll start in September with this new class. Terry, did you mention how many people you're looking for uh, in total, or do you have a number year to year? Well, we like to select up to 30. And, uh, you know, that's the magic number. And some classes might be a little short of that. You know, we want to make sure we have a good mix of people, men, women, uh, age diversity, ethnic diversity, uh, occupation diversity. Uh, you know, the, the more diverse the classes, the more they're going to learn from each other. And I've said this many times before. My predecessor, the late Dr. Blazik, said it. Uh, you know, they're going to learn a lot when they're in the lead program, but they're also going to learn as much from each other and that sharing of ideas, that cross contamination of ideas after uh, they listen to speakers uh, and so forth during the day, that evening when they get together and just you know have their background information and they can really share and grow each other when they go through the program. Today we're talking with Terry Haney, the Nebraska Lead Program Director. Terry, you mentioned uh, during that year of hiatus, you had the opportunity to look at the program, the the funding sources, all of those things. Any key takeaways for you over the past year, even though we did have to pause the program? Well, you know, it's interesting. From what we did some surveys, some very informal surveys, kind of like when I did my uh, uh, qualitative dissertation. Uh, you know, we asked um, you know commodity board directors and and alums and people involved in ag industry. You know, what are some of the new tools that these lead graduates need? And you know, here's what came forth: trainings on civil discourse, trainings on critical thinking, trainings on sources of what's a quality source of information. Uh, parliamentary procedure, how to run a campaign, uh, how to conduct a meeting, how to do strategic planning and visioning. You know, so those are some things that while we touch on those things a little bit, we're going to expound into that a lot more and help really give some new tools to these lead fellows. 
So, Terry, if somebody's listening today and they're interested in becoming part of this, what's the best way to get in touch with you? You know, a telephone call works really well, 402-472-6810. Check us out on the World Wide Web, lead, L-E-A-D dot U-N-L dot E-D-U. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, be happy to visit with you about the program. Or, Bryce, if someone knows of somebody that should be in this program, they can certainly nominate them. Same thing, telephone number, I'll say it one more time, 402 Four seven two six eight one zero. Nebraska Lead Program resuming seminars in September of 2021, but applications are due on June 15th. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting on the Rural Radio Network, and today we are inside the Nebraska Soybean World Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. Time for the Midday Business Report. Here's Bob Brogan. Trading on Wall Street held by a rise in technology companies as well as smaller companies, which would benefit from a quick, quickly growing economy. The S&P 500 rose eight-tenths of, of a percent, crossing the 4,000-point mark for the first time. Companies, including Tesla, that would benefit from greater sales of electric vehicles rose after President Joe Biden outlined various measures to support their use as part of his massive infrastructure plan. The number of Americans applying for unemployment benefits rose by 61,000 last week to 719,000, signaling that many employers are still cutting jobs even as more businesses reopen. Vaccines are increasingly administered and federal aid spreads through the economy. The Labor Department says the number of claims increased from 684,000 the week before. A federal judge has thrown out a rule allowing pork plants to speed up production lines because the U.S. Department of Agriculture didn't properly consider the risk to workers before the rule was issued in 2019. Union officials praised yesterday's ruling because they say faster line speeds at pork plants increase the risk of injuries for workers. The lawsuit was filed by the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union along with local unions in Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri, and Oklahoma, and the nonprofit consumer advocacy group Public Citizen. That's a check of the business news. I'm Bob Brogan. Coronavirus crisis. Throughout the pandemic, President Biden has been saying, follow the science, but the science isn't packing up his suggestion that states should continue restrictions on businesses. The biggest argument for reopening the country are states like Florida and Texas. The biggest argument for not staying closed are states like New York and New Jersey. Consider this, daily new COVID cases are worse in New York, which is still heavily restricted, than they are in Texas, which is 100% open for business. President Biden called Texas Governor Abbott's decision to reopen businesses Neanderthal thinking and is still urging tighter restrictions despite the fact that open states aren't in worse shape. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky said that cases could continue to spike across the country in the spring and summer. She also said that there is impending doom, but is there and does it have anything to do with business restrictions? It might be more about herd immunity, naturally occurring coronavirus cases and vaccinations combined. That just takes time. Jackie DeAngelis, Fox News. Fox on tap. For the second year in a row, Apple's annual Worldwide Developer Conference will be in all online format and free for all developers. 
Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the Worldwide Developer Conference, as well as all of Apple's major product announcements, were online-only events, and the trend will continue for most of this year. The annual Developers Conference brings together Apple's more than 28 million developers and students to learn about the very latest technologies, tools, and frameworks to build the next generation of applications and games for Apple's multiple platforms. Between now and April 18th, students can get involved in the Swift Student Challenge to show off their coding skills and win prizes. And despite being an online-only event like years past, there are rumors of product announcements at the event, including new iMacs featuring the company's Apple silicone processor. Apple is migrating from Intel inside their desktop and laptop computers to Apple processors over the next two years. With Fox on Tech, Brett Larson, Fox News. For KRVN's 70th anniversary, we thought we'd revive an old 880 radio promotion, Ham Telephone Time, just in time for Easter. With the hams from the Nebraska Pork Producers Association, listen for your chance to win March 29th through April 2nd, right here on 880 AM. We all know that Easter dinner would not be the same without the mouth-watering ham. KRVN's retro radio ham telephone time will give you a chance to win a free ham from the Nebraska Pork Producers Association. I Tyson and NTTA. I'm chatting with Christian Schiff of Scotts Bluff, who was nominated by Tim Erdman, who says Christian is one of the best people he's worked with in the seed business. Christian is a field service representative with Channel Seed. Welcome, Christian. Why don't you tell us how you got into the seed business from an internship with Monsanto and their dairy side of the business? So I started there. They moved me to the East Coast. Um, I spent the summer in State College, Pennsylvania, um, doing a project with silage corn and dairy farmers. And so that was kind of my initial segue into biotechnology and coming into the seed sales side. Um, had so, a mentor tell me that if I wanted to continue to work for Monsanto, the future was really in seed and um, and corn and soybeans. So they offered me a job after my internship, and my mom said to me, hey, why don't you go try that job thing before you decide to go to vet school and uh, go make some money? So I went ahead and accepted the job and deferred my acceptance to vet school for a year. And Wow, when people say see the world, you don't usually think of agriculture. So Christian, you've been as far east as possible with the seed business, and now you're in the Midwest. Tell us how you got here. So I actually met my husband in Delaware um, at a fertilizer dealership, a Growmark location out there. Um, and I told him, you know, I'm a Midwest girl. I belong in the Midwest. I am not an East Coast girl. And he said, well, what, what do you think about Nebraska? My family just invested in land in Nebraska, and I'd like to live in Nebraska. And I said, well, Nebraska is a whole lot closer to Illinois, which is where I grew up. Um, didn't turn out that it's actually any closer. It's actually further for my family to drive here than it was to Delaware, but so it goes. Felt like home. Um, I grew up in a very small town in central Illinois, um, bigger than Scott's Bluff, but similar, very similar feel to Scott's Bluff. And we got married in Illinois and then quickly after getting married, moved to Scott's Bluff. Um, so Scott's Bluff quickly became home. Kristen, what is it about the seed business which keeps you in it and engaged? My draw 
to um, seed and to um, biotechnology and the job that I have now is definitely very much a relationship-driven business. Um, establishing trusting relationships with customers is what what the seed business is about, and I think that's a huge part of um, what attracted me to agriculture in general um, is the type of people that I get to work with every day. Um, good, good people with great values and hard, hardworking. Um, I would say it's a wonderful aspect to have good products and to be able to bring solutions to farmers. Um, but the relationships really are what drive the business and, and my favorite part of the business. Kristen, thanks for chatting with us. Kristen has four daughters, Reagan, Ruby, Rose, and Rachel, with her husband, Scott. And she says the girls enjoy helping out on their cow-calf operation and in the fields. We'll continue with our Women in Ag series brought to you by Tyson and NCTA next week. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Playpan on the Rural Radio Network as we check in on the closing grain trade with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zagmarki in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, a little bit of a top-heavy day following yesterday's limit-higher moves, but when I look at the new crop corn futures, the new crop soybean futures, they all end in the green. Is that the positive to take away from this week's trade? Well, yeah, I think that price action today wouldn't be what i take away. I think the report, the, the action after the report, and just the news, you know, the news is, is one of these things, kind of going back to, there was a June Wazzy report maybe three years ago where, you know, when you start painting in pictures here of, of, uh, of the farmer essentially rationing supply to a certain degree. Now, that's just simply doing it by not expanding acres. I think the trade is troubled by that. And it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the June report because if they don't raise it, that might spell some, some interesting things for, uh, for the coming years. The fact that we only did 179 million acres between corn and beans with spring wheat, you know, near all time lows, uh, cotton, certainly not at all time highs. And, you know, at these prices, it just, I think it shocks the trade that we didn't see, you know, acreage relative to where it was a year ago, uh, if not, you know, more. So from the short run here today, the price action tells me that there's selling going on, obviously on the physical side, um, and the new crop, the risk is kind of shifting now to the new crop markets doesn't mean those old crowd markets are going to fall apart, but I think the speculators are just moving things around. Any concern with uh, with forecasters like Stonex coming out today and rising raising their uh, their expectations for Brazil's soybean harvest, but kicking back a little on the Safrina corn crop? No, no surprise there. I think the market kind of has that in mind. Probably one reason why the old crop is down today, but um, you know, right now I think it's going to get absorbed. The, the demand for feed is high, and in my opinion here, again, just going back to the report, it's like, how do you do 179 million acres? I mean, I'm sorry I have to repeat it, but I'm so shocked by it. Um, and, and the big thing to watch, in my opinion, is we go into Q2, lots of Brazilian real. Their president just cleaned out his cabinet this week. Prices were at all-time lows. If that would somehow rebound for whatever reason, and it doesn't look like Brazil is going to be able to expand their, their soybean acres, price is going to have to stay high. So it, it, it's just it's such an interesting dynamic compared to where we were 10 months ago. Can't even, it, you know, it's a career-like moment for me, somebody who does this for a living, because it's, it's completely opposite. 
That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. If you want to talk to him about this career-defining move in the grains, check out danielsagmarketing.com. That's danielsagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures options involve risk of loss. May not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. All right, thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Thursday edition of Midday. To find the Midday Podcast, sponsored by Devaney Motors, you can check it out on Spotify or iTunes or krvn.com.